Well, I promise that I'm not going to preach through Ephesians one verse at a time. I realize that we are in the third sermon of the series and we're to verse 4. That's a snail's pace, to say the least. I promise we're going to pick up the pace, just not today or next Sunday. Verses 4 through 6 of Ephesians 1 are some of the most significant and important verses in the Bible. We try to understand God's plan of salvation. These verses, of course, bring us face to face with one of the most controversial subjects in the church. And that is known as the doctrine of election. If you want to cause a ruckus in some churches, you just go start talking about election. A lot of people struggle with it because it seems to cut against the grain of our sense of self-determination, of human autonomy, and of our desire for free will. It's a very, very sensitive issue. I know that. I struggled with it myself in my early days as a Christian. But now I'm convinced that is what the Bible teaches. And if you're struggling with election this morning, that is where you must begin. You have to ask, is that what the Bible teaches? Is that what the Bible says? You see, it doesn't matter if you understand it or not. Doesn't matter if you like it or not. What matters is whether or not God teaches it in His Word. And if He does, then as a matter of obedience, you are to believe it. Those of us who are committed to the Reformed faith hold this as one of our most precious doctrines. You know, people, as I said in before our service this morning, some. Sometimes people wonder, what does it mean to be Reformed or to embrace Reformed theology? What does it mean to be a Reformed Christian or to be a part of a Reformed church? At its core, to be Reformed means to believe that what the Bible says is true. That is what the word means. To, to be Reformed means to be reformed. Or that is to have your mind reshaped by the Word of God and by what God's Word teaches. You see, I'm not reformed because I believe in election. I believe in election because I'm reformed. Because I, I try to submit my, my mind to the mind of God. And I try to have my understanding of truth shaped by what his word tells us. And therefore, I think it's important this morning that we just spend a whole sermon on verse 4. And on this subject we find clearly stated here in this verse. Now, I want you to realize, again, this is a part of the sentence that began back in verse 3 where Paul is talking about all the spiritual blessings, the wonderful spiritual blessings God has poured out upon us from the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And then the text goes on to say, it doesn't stop. 
The text goes on to say that one of those spiritual blessings, I would submit to you that the greatest of spiritual blessings is that God chose us to be His. And He chose us before the foundation of the world. This is how it reads. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. How? How did He bless us? just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before Him. Several things this morning. First, I simply want us to look at the biblical teaching on election. Like I said a moment ago, that is the most important matter. If it's not taught in the Bible, ought not to believe it. If it is taught in the Bible... We better believe it. Truth is that election is not just found here in Ephesians 1, verse 4. But it's taught all the way through the Bible. Think all the way back to the book of Genesis. And where God chose one man and his family to be rescued from the great flood. Man was known. What does the Bible say? Noah found favor in the eyes of God. You think of Abraham. One man, out of all the people on the face of the earth, God went to one man in Herod and chose him, picked him, called him out of Herod to go to the land of Canaan and to be called the father of the faith. You think of Abraham's grandsons, Jacob and Esau. The sons of Abraham's son, Isaac. Esau was born first. And according to everything that was right in the eyes of men, Esau would have inherited the blessing and would have been the one to carry on the line of the covenant of God, that God made with Abraham his grandfather. But that wasn't God's plan. That's not what God did. God chose Jacob. And and the younger had the blessing. The older served the younger. God chose Jacob to be the heir. Look at Romans 9. Carrie spent a good bit of time in Romans chapter 9, but turn with me to in Sunday school, but return with you to Romans chapter 9. Where he talks about this sovereign choice that, that, that God made to make Jacob the heir over Esau. Romans chapter 9, let's begin with verse 10. Come on. Well, I hear pages quit turning, so everybody's there. These are important. We're going to do a lot of this this morning. And not only this, but there was Rebecca also. When she had conceived twins by one man, our father Isaac. For though the twins were not yet born, it had not done anything, good or bad, so that God's purpose according to his choice would stand. Not because of works, but because of him who calls. Who was said to her, the old will serve the younger. 
just as it is written, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. God chose Jacob to be the heir and not Esau. And why did he do that? The Bible tells us in verse 11, right in the middle, is so that God's purpose according to his choice would stand. Now, of course, Jacob's name was changed to Israel. It was from him, from Israel, that the twelve tribes descended. And they became what? They became God's chosen people. God chose Israel. God chose the descendants of Jacob. He chose the Jews to be his particular treasure. And, and why were they given that? It's just because God chose to do it. Because that was his purpose. That was his plan. Go with me to Deuteronomy chapter 7. Deuteronomy 7. Verses 6 through 8. For Moses tells the people this, For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. For the Lord your God is what? He has chosen you to be a people for his own possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. The Lord did not set his love on you, nor choose you, because you are more in number than any of the peoples, for you are the fewest of all peoples, but because the Lord loved you and kept the oath which you swore to your forefathers, as to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the Lord brought you out by a mighty hand and redeemed from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Think of David, who became the second king of Israel, succeeded Saul on the throne. God sent Samuel to the house of Jesse to find his choice for the next king. And he interviewed all of Jesse's sons, and he thought some of them were more than qualified. But guess what? They weren't God's choice. And so Samuel said to Jesse, are there any others? Got any other son? He said, well, I got one more, but you know, he's, just, he's just a young lad. It's David. He's out tending sheep in the, in the field. Samuel said, bring him here. Go get him. And they did. And guess what? The one they least expected was God's choice. And that pattern, folks, runs all the way through Scripture. God has always chosen a people for himself. He's always worked in a sovereign way to accomplish his plan and purpose. And that's exactly what our text says in, in verse 4, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. That is God's purpose. That is God's plan. He's unfolding it for us day by day. Now the Greek word that, that, that Paul uses here in verse 4 is, is, is the word eklektos, which 
in the noun form means the elect. In the verb form that Paul uses here means he chose or he elected. And this verse teaches, again, that all the spiritual blessings we enjoy, including the wonderful salvation that we have in Christ, are all rooted and grounded in God's purpose, God's eternal purpose, which he devised long before the world was created. Now look, folks, I didn't come up with that. what the Bible says. And I have a choice. I can believe it. Or I can struggle with it and I can try to explain it away. But there's just so many other verses that confirm it, that teach the same thing. It's just hard, folks, to explain it away, deny it, without being, and still be honest with, with the Scripture. Look with me at some other verses that kind of help tie it all together. Go to Hebrews chapter 13. Because in Hebrews 13, the text talks about an eternal covenant. Now, if it's an eternal covenant, it's not made with man because we're not eternal. Who's eternal? God's eternal. And so this is a covenant, folks, made within the Godhead. A covenant made with each other, which we believe is where the three persons of the Trinity planned salvation. God ordained it. God the Son said, I will accomplish it. God the Holy Spirit said, I will apply it. 1320. Now the God of peace who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of what? The eternal covenant even Jesus our Lord. I go back to John chapter 17. Verses 4 and 5. Where Jesus says this. This is part of Jesus' high priestly prayer. And you've got a red letter edition of the Bible like I do. It's all red, man. 16, 17, all red. Words of Jesus. Verses um, 4 and 5. John 17, I glorified you on earth, on the earth, having accomplished what? The work which you have given me to do. Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. 1 Peter chapter 1. Verse 20. Speaking of Jesus, because in the previous verses talking about the precious blood of Christ, of a lamb unblemished. Verse 20. For he was foreknown when? Before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in his last days for the sake of you. And then one more text. Let's go to Revelation. <coughs> Chapter 13. Revelation 13. And verse 8. 
all who dwell on the earth will worship him. That is worship Satan, talking about those who follow the evil one. All those who dwell on the earth will worship him. Everyone whose name has not been written from the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who has been slain. You see a pattern? An eternal covenant? A work that was given, glory that was shared before the foundation of the world? Christ and his redemptive work being known before the foundation of the world? The names of believers being written in the Lamb's book of life before the foundation of the world? Now look with me at John 6. John 6. Let's begin with verse 37. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. Then verse 39. This is the will of him who has sent me. But of all that he has given me, I lose nothing. But raise it up on the last day. And then verse 65. For this reason I have said to you, no one can come to me unless it has been granted him from the Father. Well, who are those who have been given to the Son by the Father? Who are those to whom it's granted to come to Jesus? If it's not those Paul speaks of here in Ephesians 1.4, those he chose in Christ before the foundation of the world. Now, we've seen this taught in, in the historical books. We, we've seen it taught in, in the Gospels, in, in the Epistles. We've turned to Revelation. But it's also taught in the prophets. Look at Isaiah. Isaiah, chapter 46. Let me read verses 8 through 11. Remember this and be assured. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things long past. For I am God and there is no other. I am God. There is no one like me. Declaring the end from the beginning... And from ancient times, things which have not been done, saying, My purpose will be established, and I will accomplish all my good pleasure, calling a bird of prey from the east, man of my purpose from a far country. Truly I have spoken. Truly I will bring it to pass. I have planned it. Surely I will do it. I just want to let you kind of let that sink in this morning. All I've done so far, really, is, is read from the Bible. 
from the first book of the Bible to the last. And books of the Bible all the way in between. You see, there is there are several threads, I call them, that run through the Bible. And this is another undeniable thread that runs from the very beginning all the way to the very end. And that thread is God's eternal purpose. Of God's sovereign plan. Which he came up with and ordained before the foundation of the world. And which he has promised to bring to fulfillment at the very end. Again, from the perspective of the Bible, salvation is all about God. It begins and it ends with Him, doesn't it? This is not in my notes. I probably ought not to say it. We're kind of pawns in God's eternal plan for our good, folks, and for His glory. Do you get it? God shared the glory with Jesus before the world was. And they made this plan that they would create people in their own image. And some of them would be chosen to share that glory with them one day. That's what Jesus' high priestly prayer is all about. Let me go back to your glory to experience what I had with you before the world was and and those for whom I gave my life can share in that glory with us. It's all about God from glory to glory and the wonder is that we get to share in that glory because of God's plan and because of His purpose and when we get to chapter 2 because of His amazing grace. Now, second, that's the longest part of the sermon, don't worry. Points two and three are not nearly as long as point one. That's the most important part, you get that? Now, second, there are lots of objections raised to that biblical truth. As I said earlier, it just cuts against the grain, doesn't it? Cuts the grain against the grain of human autonomy, of self-determination, our common understanding of free will. Some people say it's arbitrary. Some people say it's unfair. Some people say it's unjust. But you see, that's what happens again. When we look at salvation, not from the vertical perspective, but from the horizontal perspective, the answer to those objections, let's go back to Romans chapter 9. And, and I'd be happy to deal with some objections tonight if you want to bring some questions. I'm going to deal with more of this next, next Sunday in verses 5 and 6. Romans, back to Romans chapter 9. Verses 19 through 23. Help me to get in Romans. Romans chapter 9, 19. You will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who resists his will? On the contrary, who are you, O man, who answers back to God? The thing molded will not say to the molder, why did you make me like this, will it? 
Or, or does the potter have a right over the clay to make from the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for common use? What if God, although willing to demonstrate His wrath and to make His power known, endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction, and He did so to make known the riches of His glory upon vessels of mercy, which He prepared when? Beforehand for glory. You see it? Vessels of wrath prepared for destruction. Vessels of mercy prepared for glory. And the Bible says that's God's way. And the Bible says, who are you to tell God that's not a good way? Because, you know, Isaiah says, God's ways aren't our way. He doesn't think like we think. And our, our goal should not to be to make God like us, to make God do things the way we think they ought to be done, but to submit ourselves to God's sovereign purpose and plan and to say, you know, I don't understand it. There may be parts of it that just kind of make my skin crawl a little bit. But he's a sovereign God. And he can do whatever he wants to do in whatever way he wants to do it. This is his world. We are his creation. He is, he is the potter. And we are the clay. And we have no right to say to the potter, why'd you do me this way? Why'd you make me like this? He is the sovereign God and all glory goes to him. And then finally, I want to hold before you some of the blessings that we receive from this biblical truth. Remember now, this is a part of the sentence that started in verse 3. Don't forget that. Blessed are we. We are a blessed people. And that's because God has blessed us. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with what? Every spiritual blessing. Every one of them in the heavenly places. Through Christ. Just as he chose us. In him before the foundation of the world. You know. It, it takes so much of the blessing away. From this wonderful. Glorious truth. When we quibble over it. When we fight over it. When we divide up into different theological camps over it. This is designed to be a blessing. This is a part of the rich spiritual blessings, the heavenly blessings we have in Christ. And one of those blessings is humility. People wrongly think this truth leads to pride, when in reality it leads to the deepest sense of humility. Why are you a Christian this morning? It's not because anything in you or about you or because of you it is all about God and his sovereign choice that's what Paul says here God chose us us that's talking about himself and those Ephesian Christians God chose us in Christ the overwhelming question 
that every believer should ask is why me? Why me? Why am I the recipient of God's grace? Why have I been given the gift of salvation? You see, divine election, God's choice, ascribes no human merit as the cause. And we call it unconditional election because it's not conditioned on anything in us or about us. What Moses told the Israelites wasn't it? Hey, he didn't choose you because you're more number than any other people, because you're better than the other people, because you did more to earn it than anyone else. God just did it because he loved you. And because he made a promise to Abraham that you would be his people. Another blessing is holiness. Some think this biblical truth leads to spiritual laziness or even loose living. If God's chosen me unconditionally, what does it matter? I can live like I want, can't I? I'm chosen of God. I can live the way I choose to live. Look at our text. Why did God choose us in Christ? Is it so that we would be holy and blameless before him? Election is unto holiness. How do you know you among the elect? Huh? How do you know you've been chosen by God? It's by the difference that he makes in your life. It's by your desire to, to pursue holiness and godliness and to be like him. If you have no desire for holiness... You have no reason to think you're chosen by God. Do you get that? That's what the Bible said. He chose us in Him that we would be holy and blameless before Him. Then still another blessing is assurance. Assurance. The Bible is clear in teaching we can't save ourselves. Human depravity, our estrangement from God, the fact that the Bible says we are dead in our trespasses and sins, keep us from seeking God. And we read it in, in, in John 6, didn't we? The Bible says that apart from drawing the Holy Spirit, no one can come. That unless it's been granted the Father, unless the Holy Spirit draws, no one can come. You see, if you love Jesus this morning, if you belong to Him, it's because He's done something wonderful in your life. It's because He's taken away the heart of stone and given you a heart of flesh. It's because He's, he's, he's taken away your enmity, your estrangement from Him, and He's brought you into him, to Himself allowed you to be a part of his people. You, you see, this, this doctrine is, is not anything to be scoffed at or ridiculed. But folks, it's something to be embraced and cherished and loved 
and believed because it really is our only hope of salvation. Again, why are you a believer today? It's because God chose you in Him before the foundation of the world that you would be holy and blameless before Him. Well, what's our response? I would say our only response is what we find at the end of Romans 11 where Paul said, for from Him and through Him and to Him are all things to Him be the glory forever. Amen. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. We love it. And we are so overwhelmed by it. And I pray that today you would allow your truth to penetrate to our hearts. If there be those this morning who are struggling with some of this, I pray for grace for them to understand, to submit, to believe, and to find joy and peace in doing so, that you might be praised and honored and glorified and ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.